Uh, welcome to the Enlightened Couch Potato Podcast. My name is Nicholas Rave. I'm Adrienne Gunn. And here this we are. podcast is where we help people learn how to watch movies and TV for maximum psychological and spiritual development. Yes, yes. Also, we do other things, but I'm pretty sure Nicholas is, is, is uh, the last time you talked about it, the other things we do are exactly that as well, right? When we're just shooting, shooting, the, shooting the S about TV, we're still teaching you how to watch for maximum psychological and spiritual development. I said it almost without tripping. One of the things I've been thinking about as we've had this conversation about making the first part of every episode just be answering the question, what are you watching, mm -hmm. is I've been thinking just having like a journal, like a dream journal, but for <laughs> your um, for what you're watching Nicholas. makes sense to me. <laughs> Nicholas is now sharing my idea by the way. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> and remember, I don't know if you remember this, behind the no, scenes I didn't conversation even... where I was like, what we should do is take the dream journaling process and create our own journal for watching television. And then literally three minutes later, you're like, it's like a dream journal. Only for <laughs> did television. You, just, you didn't just say that, did you? No, it was like last week. if you did, I'm losing my mind. Last week, we were literally in a conversation where I said, we should take the dream journaling process and make our oh, own yeah. journal for watching TV. And then I three minutes after I said that, you're like, oh, uh, it's like a dream journal, but only for watching TV. That's yeah. a really good idea. And then you caught yourself and said, oh, Didn't you, you just, just say that. that? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. I thought you meant I, you said it three minutes ago right now. And I was no. just saying it again. It was then I was going to be moment. like, I think I need to go get my brain checked out. <laughs> No, not in today's pre. Woo! I still might need to do that, though. <laughs> Welcome to the inside moments, everyone. So I have to reveal that I am actually a real person that watches TV and then feels things. What? We're not joking about this. We use and watch TV and then we come to each other and talk about it. So, <laughs> so, so what, do you, what have you been watching? <laughs> I specifically chose not to calm or shift my emotions about what I'm watching. And it's very likely that this might be a rant in my head before pressing the record, before sitting down to go. I did, I did walk through whether there were easy ways for me to explain this thing. So straight up, I live a life where oftentimes in the middle of the day, that's when I'm eating and I have my alone moments. My entrepreneuring is such that I often can do whatever the F I want with the middle of my day, which is awesome. Mm. So I'm watching this show spinning out. I told you yesterday that I'm yeah. watching this uh, speed skating show. And do you ever just find yourself yelling at the television? <laughs> just yelling at the things that happen. So I yell at the television often at different levels. And this particular day, I'm yelling at a phenomenon that I discovered. Uh, yesterday, we talked about that middle period of the TV shows we watched. And I was saying that, that a lot of the stuff that I watched was sort of identity-based mm -hmm. and identity-reaffirming. Uh, I have many an identity. I imagine you do as well. And I have noticed a trend in American television stuff that's produced in American television. And I, I was able to notice this by watching Canadian produced television. Mm. And this mirrors my experience of growing up in Portland and then moving to Vegas. Now, so the, 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 the rant, the complaint I have 
is that there's a lot of pretense and exposition in American television. And there's a lot of pretense and exposition in the Pacific Northwest. Portland is a beautiful example of a collection of people who um, claim to be open-minded and liberal, and they do it in a particular way where they have labels that in, in cities where diversity actually exists, people don't talk about diversity. They just talk to each other. Mm. So the thing that I noticed, and it's the difference of like when I was in New York and I got on a subway and a bunch of different kinds of different kinds of people got on, my body relaxed at the supremely cellular level. I started breathing in a way that I didn't know that I was holding my breath. And that was my experience of moving to Las Vegas. Wow. And finding that there were different kinds of different kinds of people there. And people just walked up and talked to you like, like, like they would just say hello and then listen and then respond in kind. And you might not ever get to talking about your identities or, or even people who, who found themselves attracted to, to you. They might be of all sorts of races or genders and they might just come over and find out if you're interested in them, which is why I found out that men are a delightful group of humans to be intimate with. Because I shaved my hair off before I moved to Las Vegas. And in Portland in the 90s, that would have meant a very militant dyke kind of statement mm. here. The mm -hmm. way that I dressed and shaving my hair. There in Vegas, I was just treated like I was amaretto candy. And if you remember in the 90s, amaretto was a really, really popular. Remember how, you know how hazelnut and pumpkin spice are popular now? Yeah. So yeah. amaretto was the first hazelnut. And I then, remember. And then I remember. Spice. Amaretto, yeah. right? So uh -huh. apparently one can just exist in the world and exchange and connect with people. And I'm bringing this up because when I came back to Portland, I even had the second time I came back to Portland, I had this instance, I was working at Lowe's and I would have 90 second to three minute interactions with people. And in Lowe's with strangers, I would hear about their political views and their open mindedness. I'm just ringing up their fucking hammers and nails and caulk and paint, right? And plants that I would sneeze about because allergies. In, in any other of my service jobs in Phoenix and Vegas, no one talks about the pretense of their political views. And it got weird. I'm like, is this because I'm brownish? Is that why they're telling me? But no, it's a very fucking Portland thing. So here's the deal. American produced television versus- I think the term American is produced. virtue signaling. I think maybe, yes. Mm -hmm. So- this show, in the very first episode, there so it's, it's set in a, there's like a ski area that has, you know, it's a snowy and it's in Idaho. And so the main character is walking across a stretch of whatever, and a black person is there. The two of them greet each other as though they've known each other for a really long time. And the black character basically says, hi, I'm a black person in a ski area. I've been skiing with my friends. And now I've said a word that makes me seem so very white. Ha, ha, ha. Okay, great. That's annoying. It's a weird exposition. It's walking in and like, hi, I'm a black person. It's like, it's like if the doctor happens to be black and in the US, it's like, hi, I'm your black doctor today. Let's talk doctory things. <laughs> that is going to be in the underlying. His second scene was hi, with a person he's been working with 
for months. The same person he already, we've already established they fucking know each other. And his lines are basically, I'm a black guy who works here because I need the money because I'm also poor, surrounded by, he practically says that. And that's annoying enough. So now I'm on episode five and the gay male ice skating character, his first lines that he like, I'm going to establish that I exist as a human. His first lines are, oh my gosh, look how gay I am. And I'm attracted to that guy over there. Oh, I'm commiserating with the Asian woman who at no point ever has to explain her Asian-ness because she just gets to be a person who has like ice skating issues. Okay. The contrast. (laughs) The contrast is that I have watched so much Canadian produced television and there's this concept called, what is it? Like open, open casting. What is it? The open, I've just forgot it. Anyway, what they do is they just write characters Mm. who, who interact with each other and they have different dynamics and roles. And then they put any, any race or whatever in there. Right. Uh, people who have specific desires sexually, they just go up and they talk to the person and then suddenly you notice that they're kissing because it turns out they're attracted to each other. They don't have to announce or have exposition about they, your, your doctor will be whatever color and they'll just come in and do the job and say the lines that a right. doctor would say if they were in a fucking appointment with you. So then I think at the beginning of episode five, there's a whole nother black person in this show and it's a woman. And so the two black people in the ski lodge now granted black people in a ski lodge are going to have black experiences, but they haven't had, none of them have had a, they don't have names yet. This, this woman shows up. She doesn't even have a name yet, but she's already having a black experience as if she's only supposed to be in the show to illustrate blackness in this experience rather than like, maybe she has a headache that day it drives me fucking crazy because that's not the thing that in a canadian show and i'm talking a lot of them i'm talking continuum i'm talking lost girl i'm talking fucking i've seen at least 20 canadian produced shows where just people you might know them for two seasons before they describe anything that has to do with the experience of them being bisexual gay polyamorous uh from india from Pakistan, anywhere they're from, no one walks onto the stage and, hi, I'm going to be your black person for this episode. Right. Um, I might get shot in two minutes or I'm going to have an experience that gets us talking about race. And what I'm saying is that I have emotions and opinions about this. My preference for... For... What is this? I'm so stirred up. I can't find words. My my preference is for people to exist and be connecting with each other around the actual things that are going on in the storyline. That's my preference. That is my wish that I think that like it's not exposure. It's an E word that I'm trying to find. For people to be rep- the representation that I prefer is the one where you just show up, connect, and you just get to be a fucking person right. in a situation and not have to do this dumbass fucking pretense that I, it's only microaggressions is a term that exists now. I like, I grew up, I spent 40 years of my life in one of these situations in a place where everybody announces their liberal open-mindedness and doesn't, I guess I just like representation 
to feel different. That is my rant. That is my, this drives me crazy about how television in the US is different than, than other places where people are actually honored. Diversity is actually honored. And it's not like they don't talk about it at some point. They just actually fucking connect with people without policing the language or, or announce. I might just for the sake of being ridiculous, I might just announce to people. I might just take a week and just wander around Portland announcing, hello, I am a biracial bisexual. I used to be bipolar, but that doesn't fucking exist because diseases are weird and healable. Can I have a, can I have a IT? Which is double, it's redundant. I, tea, I don't want a TT. Because chai means tea. I just want you to make me a latte that's made of not coffee. I don't think I'll do that, though, because that's <laughs> fucking weird. I'm going to have some water and cool off. Whew. <laughs> I'm going to have my water down my sweater. Well. <clears throat> I don't know um, if you can relate. I imagine maybe you cannot I don't I mean, require you to relate. I'm just talking I, about the things people need to know exists, and it's frustrating. I think that there are some things that it's better to hear from some people than from other people. And I think this is an issue and a subject that I very much appreciate you being uh, vocal about. Um, on the one hand, I think what you're describing can be simply explained as bad writing. <laughs> it's lazy yes bad writing because people don't they're not actually getting into the character but i will also say that there are a lot of attempts to be um diverse and not racist that are actually very racist yes and they're very divisive and they 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 give people these categories and labels to start looking at the world through and then you can't see anything other than that and mm -hmm. to me the point of all this work that we're supposed to be doing on these issues is to get to the place that you're describing which is you're just a person and we're relating to you as a person yeah which is a very nlp concept totally. um yeah i, yeah. I hear you I, I recognize it as well um although it definitely doesn't affect me in a in a personal way, although I will say that there, I am I am incredibly aware of the um, the pervasive fear of being called racist. Sure, that is as someone who is not a minority, that is something that um, I I think is extremely real, mm -hmm. and I I try my best to be open-minded and compassionate and understanding of other people's experiences in the world. And I do think that there are people who, if you give someone a word that you can use that will cut people down anywhere you go and you can destroy people's lives and careers, of course there are going to be some people who are going to abuse that word. Yeah. Well, and it's as if it, at some point people were just taught, the word racist or bigot equals bad person. And we've been constructed as tiny humans in this moralizing way. This is all in radical honesty. It's one of the bigger parts of radical honesty, this idea of, of moralizing and good and bad and making that tangible and real as a deeply lived program inside. Mm. 
But the problem with just deciding that a word equals you're a bad person who does bad things is that you you take it away from the fact that we're all racist and uh, predisposed to specific things because we've been programmed that way in a society that is yeah. a collection of ideas about things. And the other things that pissed me off in this show were like ideas about ownership of romantic interests. This drives me crazy. Like people, mm. people all over the place in this show are making really, really irrational, highly emotional, charged decisions. And that is fine. People seem to do that. I think that's true about most people. And one of the things that I feel is really gross is this idea that we keep supporting in television that if somebody is attracted to a person, that person is theirs suddenly. And no one else is allowed to also be attracted to the person. Mm. And, and these like, these dynamics of like people being very jealous and fighting over each other. Also, since it's an ice skating thing, there's this dynamic of like mothers and daughters and women being really, really, really cruel, utilizing language as weapons to get in each other's heads and shred each other's ego and shred men's mm. egos as this tool. And I'm like, oh, this is a bigger thing. Are you hate watching this show? Is <laughs> I will. I just wanted to see how much of this particular culture this show was going to dive into and can continue to support. Because I think, yes, on one level, it's bad writing, but it's also a highly pervasive style of bad right. writing. <clears throat> yeah, they're doing it because be it appeals to a certain- An American yeah. institution mm. of storytelling that when I compare it to it, just I, it's Netflix. I have access to the different. There's it's like, it's, I don't know how to unwind these weird rules that show up in the show. And so I'm watching it to, to remind myself cellularly of, Oh, this is a very, this is a very us us thing. And I, and I, and I, I want, I, I'm allowing myself to sit into it. Because I think you said yesterday and other times that resistance. I you have an opinion about resistance and I think resistance is there to indicate something of importance. And mm. so I'm currently paying attention to my resistance and my yelling at these characters to recognize things that I'm upset about mm. in the mm -hmm. world. Mm -hmm. And to let my resistance and anger and wanting to shun things to point out things that want healing in me. Resistance is an interesting word. I mean, I think you're you're trying not to be resistant to the experience that you're having, yeah. but you're getting triggered by yeah. what you're watching. Yeah. And like when I say bad writing, like I often think it's like lazy writing. It's yeah. like. It's like comedy that's that's um, very broad in the sense that it's like I can just say this word um, like if you listen to humor from the 90s and probably the 80s, too, but I wasn't as big on it. But humor in the 90s, you could just say the word gay. Uh huh. And people would start laughing because it would make people uncomfortable. But there's there was no joke. Like if you watch. Um, uh, I tried to watch. Um, Dodgeball, mm. the Ben Stiller movie. I tried mm -hmm. to watch Dodgeball with my son 
because I remembered it being funny and I'm watching it now and I'm like, oh, like 90% of the jokes in this movie are just, they're not even jokes. They're just the fact that this person is gay or that this right. person might be in a, in a gay situation. And then we're all supposed to go <laughs> and laugh because that's not a joke. Like right. it makes people laugh, but it's not a joke. Right. It's just, I just pushed a button and it triggered a feeling inside a person. And now I can make an entire movie that people will pay money to go watch. And to me, the things you're describing are lazy in a similar way yeah. that I can go bump. And then the person is like, Oh yeah, I get that. And it brings up feelings in the audience. Um, but it's, it's lazy. It's, it's paint by numbers. Um, and it's also arguably damaging as well. Totally. I just, I just, it's bad enough to just write exposition, Star Wars, and <laughs> not actually come up with a plot or character, Star Wars. And I think more people need to realize when things are... You can enjoy something yeah. that's poorly executed. And we'll teach you how. <laughs> that's part of our technique, is helping you figure out how to drop in and say yes and... and, and really enjoy things that you're watching, even if you wouldn't necessarily. And there, there are things that could shift. And, and there are reasons why, there are reasons why bad shit doesn't hold up as well. Yeah, well, and I think something, something that isn't a good lesson to take from what you're doing here is that you are, applying the same principles of how to watch movies and TV for maximum psychological and spiritual development, you are applying those same principles to something that's bothering you. This yeah. isn't even something you're enjoying as much, although maybe you're enjoying other aspects of it, but right. there are aspects of it that are really getting to you and yet you're going back to it and still getting value from it. Totally. Some part of you says, keep watching. And I've yeah. totally done that. I've watched things where I'm like, I like hate watching is a real thing. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. Didn't expect to have this conversation as the opener to our podcast. Uh, you're welcome. You now know maybe more about me. Maybe not. Maybe not at all. No, I, <laughs> I very much appreciate everything that you said. So, Nicholas... What are you watching? <laughs> <laughs> well, I only watched one thing since yesterday, uh, since we had a podcast yesterday, but it was great. I started yeah. Altered Carbon season two. Oh, fuck yes. Speaking of a show where who gives a fuck what race anybody is, yes. like the whole point of the show, for those of you who haven't seen it, uh, spoilers, the, the idea is that you can download a human personality onto um uh, like a little disc basically. And then you can upload it into different bodies. Yep. So throughout the show, like the, the main character in this episode starts out in a, in an Asian lounge singers body, which they then kill. And then he wakes up. He's, I believe he was actually an, uh, he's Asian in his original body, right? right. That's his so, original yes. body. His name's yeah. Takashi, right? Yeah. Um, and then he's a, a, a white dude in the last uh, season. Mm -hmm. He starts out this season in an Asian uh, lounge singer's body who they beautiful uh, voice very quickly 
kill and then wakes up in a sexy sexy black man's body truth, and truth. Uh, i think that's probably who he's going to be in for the rest of the uh the rest of the season but they never mention it it's not a point nobody gives a fuck nope yeah no oh oh i'm so excited for you i think you're gonna like this season okay so i have we're in the Oh, uh, wait, can I comment on one thing that I about the episode that I, yeah. I thought was really cool? So yeah. the slight spoilers, if you're if you're if you haven't seen it yet. But one thing that I, I've thought about a lot is it, this idea that you can download a personality or download your entire consciousness into uh, a di- digital form of some sort, mm-hmm. I think is bullshit. Like, I don't think technology will will maybe ever get there, um, at least not in the way that we think, because it's 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 based on the idea that your personality and consciousness is in your brain, not your body. Well, they actually don't, they actually don't talk about where it comes from. Well, that's one of the things I was going to say is that in the first season, I was kind of right in the first season. I was kind of like, like, fine, I'll ignore that. But I, I, the idea that you could, I mean, maybe you could take like a picture of the whole body and then, but my point is that your whole body is your brain. This is a principle in bioenergetics and um, in a a ton of research that validates this idea that your body affects your consciousness or is uh, is inextricably linked. Your consciousness arises from your body, which Mm -hmm. means that if we swapped bodies, I wouldn't be me anymore and you wouldn't be you anymore instantaneously. You can't even be the same person without the body that you're in. So the idea of like, swapping these things was kind of like but they seem to be hinting at Mm -hmm. that idea in the very first episode of second season so i was like okay all right show me more well they also talk about how there's this in the first season they talk about a sickness sleeve sickness Mm -hmm. of the consciousness not uh integrating or right like acclimating to it yeah yeah acclimating and that that this person is trained in ways that they acclimate a lot faster than other people very interesting i'm i'm excited for for us to geek out about this good well i'm gonna go through it and as we go through it i'll be taking notes and talking about my different insights from it um there was also the thing about state dependent memory was something else that they said specifically which is this straight up nlp term yeah and he has to like recall something that i'm not exactly sure why he forgot in the first place maybe just because he's he hadn't integrated into the body yet but in order to remind himself what had happened he had gotten stabbed previously so he stabs himself again which i will say like there are easier ways to do that if you're a hypnotist (laughs) yeah you don't actually have to state dependent memory doesn't require you to actually get into the state fully yeah, there are ways to, to shortcut that or get into some of the state, but you don't yes. actually have to stab yourself. But it was super, super cool <laughs> in the show. To, for to be, ah! Yeah. We're oh, Anthony Mackie is so fucking cool in this role. I'm, yes. like, I'm like so glad they picked him for this. What's his... Um... Is he Falcon? Falcon? He's Falcon in the Marvel movies. That's right. And and he's coming out in the Falcon and Winter Soldier TV show. There's going to be a whole TV show on Disney Plus that's just about the, the dude with the metal arm and the flying dude. Oh, um, no way. Yeah, yeah. I'm excited about that. It's going to be like a buddy 
buddy hero buddy kind of thing. Hero thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I think they're going to be like a little bit antagonistic with each other because they have different styles and Captain's my and, friend. And, and Captain America gave, friend. yeah, Captain America gave Falcon the shield. He didn't give it to his best friend from childhood, Bucky. So I wonder if that's going to be an issue. Oh, <laughs> romance issues. Yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm such a Marvel head. I, I, I'm, I am not done with that. Like, I know people are like, superhero movies are played out. No, they're not. Mm. <laughs> not for I me. Almost, I almost wore my Avengers sweatshirt. Maybe I will mm. someday. It's just so, you know, it's my sleepy, it's my sleepy shirt. So I don't know if I, I have like a, one of one of the three T-shirts that I own is a Captain America T-shirt. <laughs> OK, so where we left off, we got into this part where we're in the pre-awakening sort of. I consider it a sort of identity defining and reinforcing, like for some people, the phase of their life where they they just discover what they like. They just stay there. Mm-hmm. Much like the people who still listen to this, the same albums and stuff that they listened to in high school. My tendencies and genres in my adult world, and I would say Awakening for me happened around eh, 30-ish when I started watching differently. Huh. I, 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 love, I love indie films. And indie films were a different thing than in the 90s than they are now there was a crossover of like b movies and then there were indie films so indie films would equal a bunch of things that Catherine keener parker posey and i love Catherine keener i saw yeah. her in an airport once that's that's where they sort of made their bread and butter for a lot of years and who else is in like you could even find ray don chong in indie movies who is uh so in cheech and chong super old reference chong's daughter Radon Chong was in a bunch of like indie films back in the day. But but what's interesting is there's a pacing that's different. There's a storytelling that's different. The the things I love are like Laurel Canyon, Grand Canyon. I just like things with the name Canyon. <laughs> there's this movie Myth of Fingerprints. So there are ensemble movies where there might be five plots happening with different people. Grand Canyon is one of those. There are five or so different stories happening mm-hmm. in L.A. And then they sort of converge at Grand Canyon. It's beautiful, slow storytelling, really relational. There's a movie. The Myth of Fingerprints is one of these dynamics where the prodigal insert son or daughter returns home. Home is somewhat dysfunctional and they left and they've been gone a while. And now they're coming back for some reason. So Myth of Fingerprints is a Noah Wiley is in it. And he returns home to some situation. I'm trying to remember her name. Julianne Moore has this amazing piece. So there's a, there's a whole thread of movies that I watched that I liked to capture just these moments of beauty and truth that every now and then I think movies and TV just get right. And they're doing it more often, but there's this moment. Julianne Moore's character plays a sister and she... I think she's a little lost, probably depressed. I don't even know why she goes into this, but she describes it as she's sitting at her desk and she picks up the phone and she knows that something is supposed to happen or come next. And so she finds herself looking around the desk until she finds her name on the plaque of the desk and then says her name. There's just this stunning scene. Go watch Myth of Fingerprints. No one's seen it. 
It's really good. So there's this collection for me of these movies or these movies where a group of friends that used to be connected suddenly reconnects at a cabin in the woods. And then they're all like different people. Have and then zombies. And- <laughs> <laughs> no, not and then zombies. It's just this slow rolling independent film where you're focusing on many. It's very much the same repeat of Breakfast Club. This yeah. idea that people are situationally wrapped around and, and you get to see different people living different challenges in a short amount of time, in a slow enough role, like that the, the characters don't massively shift, but they shift just this much so that you know that whether life actually changes all that much, some slight perspective means that they might be okayer than at the top of the movie. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the promise isn't big. The promise is right. like... And they're funny as fuck because they're drama. They're, they're dramedy. They're dramas. Right. And real life is just inherently funny. Right. There's weight to it. And right. there's weight to the comedy. It's not just complete silliness. Right. And one of the mm-hmm. first, this may have been a more mass produced sort of movie. One of the first ones that I started watching regularly for reasons was 28 days it's sandra bullock rehab movie i also love rehab movies or the mental (laughs) hospital movies Uh, can i just pause you for a second i (laughs) saw something recently where they had an article that was just stupid internet articles that was like similar titles that people should not get confused (laughs) and one of the ones on there was 28 days and 28 days later and they're like yes 28 days later is not a sequel to the sandra bullock movie (laughs) it is a a straight up horrifying zombie film yes one of the best (laughs) yes 28 days is uh sandra bullock's life spins out of control because she uh likes alcohol and coke and she ends up in a rehab and my favorite bits include loudon wainwright who may as well be the soundtrack. So people like Rufus Wainwright. And then I guess there's a Lucy. There are several sisters in the family. Uh, I didn't know that. I'm only familiar with Rufus. I didn't know he had siblings that were also musically Um, inclined. Yeah, there's like a whole family of Wainwrights and there's another hyphen name that's in the family. I think Kaplansky is in there too. There's There's like six really pretty famous songwriters in that but he's in the background of this playing some interesting interesting songs to sort of articulate the the action as it goes and there's a song i'd I'd rather be dreaming than living because living is so hard to do Hmm. it happens behind the scene i would watch that movie on purpose in times when i felt that i was being destructive and out of control and essentially like outside of my heart and not remembering Not remembering that I'm responsible for who I'm being. I'm responsible for my own results. And also that my, my, I guess my mission, I had a mission statement that I still resonate with that, that it, that I want to have every room better for my having been there. Right. And when I lose that line uh, and definitely in my twenties, I haven't watched this movie probably in 10 years because I have a different different setup but when i would find myself off that path i would watch this movie and it would drop me back into some core stuff from what i was saying yesterday from this like 12-step paradigm of of taking different levels of responsibility now i will clarify i believe that there's a 13 step and i'm in it and some of my core 
core grounding or around some of these ideas that show up and are teased about in this movie. So, so like movies as um, like a state in a pill. Mm-hmm. Like, like I use this movie as a touchstone to go and get me back into. I don't do that with movies as much. Um, mm. For me, I use music for that. I have no. songs that I go to that are like, I can, I can put this song on and it's like reaching out and touching a magic stone that like puts me in a certain state. In NLP, nice. we call it anchors. Yeah, um, I think it's sort of the first, the first level of how I utilize it some, somewhere is rather than denying where I'm at, yeah. I will watch the movie that says, I see you. I see that you're hurting. Mm. I feel you. I totally get it. Mm. Yes, this is a real thing. And then even just, even like when I say that the, the, the characters don't necessarily, sometimes they do find a path of the meet a person or something happens and they go from like meet to bang. And generally in these, it's just, you know what? The grind is a true real thing that you step forward each day and joy and connection can happen in these small moments. And, and it's yeah. usually they're just what, I think the, the most prominent version of this in in non-indie film was the moment in American Beauty where the ridiculously depressed guy is standing there and they're both watching a plastic bag dance in the wind. Yeah. And so I have a whole, there's a whole legion of, of things I watch that are the plastic bag dancing in the wind movies. Hmm. I, I get, I totally get what you're going for. And um, I think movies and stories that give a sense of presence, that it makes you think about the significance of, for me, I, I have this thing I do with my clients where I'll, I'll train them to uh, associate like a presence trance mm-hmm. with this sensation Hmm. of just feeling your fingers because if you in order to get out of your head you have to get in your body it's the only other place to go (laughs) so when you're lost in your head and you want to get in your body you can use your breath that's a good way that's why so many meditations are about breathing Um, but this is another way to do it is just feel the feeling when your attention goes from whatever you're thinking about in your head to this to me that's like instantaneously like right now right into this present moment mm-hmm. and stories that do that i guess the the equivalent for me that is equally poignant but not exactly the same thing sure. is stories that make me think about mortality mm. stories that make me feel like I, you're dying right now you're dying mm-hmm. and one day this is all going to be over. And I love that stuff because it makes me go. It it just, it brings so much richness and beauty to every precious, precious moment. And, um, and it makes me want to do more. It makes me like, I got into a, uh, I was doing a, I think I was doing a podcast. Actually, I was being interviewed (laughs) by somebody and I shared an opinion that was that I think was not very popular um, with <laughs> at least with him or probably with his listeners. But one of the things that I said is I do not believe in an afterlife. 
Um, and I find it to be very useful for me to not believe in an afterlife. Mm-hmm. I am a, I'm relatively agnostic about it in the sense that I think it's possible that there might be because who knows? Um, how could you know? Um, but I would rather be pleasantly surprised to show up and discover that there is one. Right. Rather than um, live my life as if there is one. Because the, right. the problem with that for me is that I see a trap. I see the possibility that I might um, not suck the life out of every single moment that I have because some part of me is like, well, it's no big deal. I'm going to, I have more. And (laughs) for me, when I'm like, no, you fucking don't. Yeah. uh, This really struck me when I was listening to a story of um, uh, this, this young uh, YouTube creator was talking about how his father died in his arms when he was 17 years old. And he said, the last thing my father said to me was, I love you so much. Mm-hmm. And like holding him at the bottom of the stairs. And he, he talked about how this has given him this profound sense that life is short. Sure. And I, I think that movies that remind me of that, um, I don't know, there's, there's a good place. The last episode of The Good Place, that's one of the things I found so beautiful about it was they were just talking about death and talking about like, this is where it's going and and the idea of ceasing existence entirely, um, walking into the nothingness and the void. A lot Um, of those ensemble movies that I mentioned, in nearly every one of them, someone is dying or someone is losing their hearing or sight. Yeah. Five Senses is an amazing movie that mm. people don't know about. Mary Louise Parker was also often in indie flicks. This is one mm-hmm. that she was in. Ah, uh, yeah. This I mo- a lot of them somebody is dying of cancer or just discovered it. Yeah. Oh, Joshua Jackson is in a beautiful movie called 2 Weeks where he finds out he has terminal cancer and then he gets on an Indian motorcycle and just rides across Canada. It's a beautiful movie. Wow. Yeah, he just takes off on a motorcycle. So this is a pretty easy transition, if, mm-hmm. if you don't mind, for me to talk about one of my movies. I would love that. So uh, this was the first movie that I watched. I would call this pre-waking up, but it was the first, the, the first that I can recall of a, of a film-going experience where I felt like I had what I would call a spiritual experience where something happened in that movie and I came out different on the other side and I could not explain to you what was going on. And what was so interesting about it to me was that I was there with my fiance, I think at the time, uh, and, uh, and a group of other people. And we left the movie and everyone but the two of us hated the movie. <laughs> they hated it and they were like that was so stupid i didn't get it it didn't make any sense what was going on and they weren't into it at all for yeah. the last like 15 20 minutes of the movie i was sobbing uncontrollably in the in the movie theater and i couldn't even tell you why right and this is 
I, if I, if you put a gun to my head and said, what is your favorite movie of all time? It would probably be this. And I don't like picking favorites. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really wouldn't want to answer that. But if I had to pick one movie, it's a movie called The Fountain. I don't know if I've seen that. Uh, I have seen it more times than probably almost any other movie because um, I keep introducing new people to it. <laughs> Nobody's seen it. I'm writing it down. Every time that somebody says a movie title, I don't know if people notice this. I, some people are noticers, some are not. So I access a file of the two different times that I worked at Hollywood Video. <laughs> One of the times that I worked at Hollywood Video, I was 18 and I worked there for about a year and I did the other spot six months to eight months. So I often have this thing is like, oh, I've seen it. Yeah, I've seen the cover. I know the cover. I've seen it, but I haven't seen it. Yeah. In the sense of like the fountain. Can I access in my visual index of movies what that is? And somehow who's the actor that plays Hannibal Lecter? What's his name? Anthony Hopkins. Is Anthony Hopkins in The Fountain? No. So The Fountain is Hugh Jackman and Rachel Weisz. Interesting. And it's made by Darren Aronofsky, who's also one of my favorite filmmakers in general. Mm -hmm. Uh, He's had a few misses, but but when he hits, oy, uh, he just, uh, there's there's a level of depth spiritually and philosophically to his films and, and The Fountain in particular. And it very much deals with mortality and with death and uh, oh, it's fucking great. We should do an entire episode on it because it does bear some interpretation. It's a little mm. hard to understand what's going on. So there's sort of three stories going on simultaneously um, or they're not happening simultaneously, but they're being told simultaneously. So it's helpful to know if you go into it just as a precursor, if you go into it. The story that's being told in the past is fictional. That one didn't really happen. But the other two stories, one of them is in the middle, and that one is actually happening. The other one is supposed to be set 500 years in the future. Oh. And most people, if you understand that, it will help a lot to like piece together what's going on in the movie. But, oh, my good God. God, that movie is so beautiful. And you want to talk about a transcendent experience that if you Mm -hmm. let that movie hypnotize you, I promise you, it will take you places where you will be able to face your fear of death and have this truly psychedelic experience. So Um, was that the change for you? Something about death specifically? It was about death and it was about uh, love. It was about Mm. um, like there's this one scene. I'm going to spoil this moment. There's this one scene near the end of the movie when when Hugh Jackman is laughing and crying and he's like staring at the camera and he goes, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. And he's laughing and crying at the same time. And it's it's like. Yeah. So the the love element of it, the relationship component really spoke to me because I have this profound sense of like loyalty. And like when I love someone, like I will die for them and I will kill for them and I will work for them and I'll I'll sacrifice everything. And um, 
and there it plays on that he has that and um and it, it plays on it and it puts him in this impossible position where the only way to to do what she wants is to solve this problem um mm. and he thinks he solved it in one way but it turns out that he had to solve it inside and not outside uh Whoa. god damn it's so good it's so good and it's <laughs> gorgeous like the movie they do these scenes in a nebula like in space um Mm -hmm. and it turned and and they didn't have a lot of money for it like this was originally going to be a brad pitt movie and um then it didn't happen and then hugh jackman came in and i'm so glad like i love i love brad pitt but hugh jackman just nails this part sure um so they do these scenes where he's he's traveling through space in this bubble and um, and he goes into these nebula, and uh, and the way they did it was microscopic photography, where they would zoom way in on um, on petri dishes with different colors and different chemicals, and they would take a drop of chemical and it would go like this, and uh, and instead of using CGI for the special effects, they did this like microscopic photography and then blew it up. And it's wow. it's like nothing you've ever seen. It's so beautiful. I'm totally overselling it at this point, but sure. it is my favorite movie. So, <laughs> well, so do you recall? Did something crack open in that moment, or did it take other movies to get you going? Wait a second. Mm. I think there's something here. Well, years later, when I was watching it again with a within another relationship, um, we had a really deep conversation about the something called the karmic wheel. It's a it's a Buddhist concept. It's basically that the idea that like you're gonna get keep, you're gonna keep getting reincarnated until mm-hmm. you learn the lessons, right? And when you learn the lessons, you're not on the wheel anymore. And I'm probably not doing the the concept justice, but when you start to think about, there's a lot of rings in uh, the symbolism of rings in the movie. Mm -hmm. And um, when you think about that as the, the uh, archetype that they're going for and the, the mythology that they're going for to me, like breaking out of that karmic wheel uh, that was a big part of it, I think. Uh, yeah. of the the deeper insight for me and and not not just getting that at an intellectual level but feeling it and and embracing death as this great adventure um yeah for me the recognition so i know that i was utilizing and i would go back to watch 28 days to get to sort of as a touchstone and i too have albums that do that <laughs> i don't know if i've told her this uh I don't know why this is a story I'm telling. Uh, there's there's a songwriter, McKinley, who has an album when I found it in one of those like listening piles in Las Vegas. She's a, she's a Portland songwriter, but I found her music in Vegas, even though I was in the songwriting community in Portland. And it used to be my, I'm really, really sad. So I'm going to listen to this because I'm sad. My sad salve album. And then it, and then it eventually became a sex album, which is Awesome. I think she would. If I haven't Sad already told that. No, just it was just it was perfect for you know, kind of like Nina Simone, and it's raining, and I don't drink wine, and but <laughs> I would to listen to like listen to Nina Simone, and that was so much packed into one sentence. 
<laughs> Nina Simone and it's raining and I don't drink wine, but I would want wow. to like be holding wine and staring out this rainy window and listening. To you just Nina painted Simone. a picture with a, an efficiency of words that was <laughs> so good. So the second, so that was in high school, Nina Simone would be sad and it'd be raining and I would, you know, I didn't drink wine, but I would imagine what wine drinking might feel like if one were, but then my, then McKinley's album, ended up being the like sad album. And so 28 days was almost like that. I would be feeling distant from myself and the truth. I would be feeling sort of destructive and I would watch that movie and it would sort of reset me and I would take different paths the next. Like the, in, the, in the arc of the 98 minutes or whatever, I would, I would start walking the next day differently. And what really, for me, <sighs> Because and this was a this is a way that I had to learn things for a very long time, and I, I think this might be a wonderful thing of like leaving the twelve step phenomenon of having to hit bottom, in order to start climbing out of it, was I I actually to realize that that television and movies could be utilized, that didn't hit for me until I had a, kind of a complete mental snap, and I was thinking earlier it's possible I had a stroke I don't know. <laughs> But there seemed, I, I went back to college as an adult. I went back at 27 and I think I might've been 29 or 30 at this moment where I had this term in the past. I'd always been able to pro procrastinate in such a form. When I was talking about resistance as a tool, I've recognized resistance for me as a, as an important thing with assignments, with theater, my strategy for a very, very long time was to just hate and push back against something until I spun myself at some point into uh, probably a sarcastic joke that had a smidge of brilliance in it. So in my paper writing process, I would get really mad at the assignment over and over and over and over again for like days or weeks or whatever. And then sometimes I remember I had to write a, a, a thing this was not in college, but I did compare Frankenstein and Hamlet and I've stirred around. I was grumpy last minute, losing sleep. Grr, and I'm like, well, they're both named after meat and they've whatever they do fucks up everyone. And I'm like, oh, OK. So then I wrote a paper, um, men named after meat and the people that love them. So just like I followed that arc, but I was pissed. Right. So I thought that that strategy was going to work. And for some reason, at this point in my life, I did not suddenly get some inspiration. I just kept getting more and more agitated. And a therapist that I was working with at the time, we were not well matched. She was very, very certain I would like, like, I would like tapping. Mm. And so she taught me some tapping technique or whatever that was theoretically supposed to take my anxiety down. But instead, I pushed a wrong button or something. And then I had my first panic and anxiety uh, thing that I'd had in 10 years. And I, I, it wasn't even, the paper wasn't even, it was just a rough draft due date that I missed because I was too mentally blah. So I just sort of crawled through that term, not being able to rely on the same kinds of like, I always come up with a great, great thing in the last minute. I always come through. I just, I, I couldn't. And I eked out something and then just sort of like, like slugged my way across the finish line of that term. And then I, I swear to you, I heard like a, like something snapped. 
And the only thing that I was required to do at that time, I was I was hired to be in a play called Slap That Bitch. And we were in <laughs> rehearsals. So I woke up and I did shower. And then I would make breakfast and I would plop down in this like mission giant, like wood mission uh, chair in front of a, an old style wooden table with like, I would put my feet up on the bars under the table. And then I would watch, I watched, I think there were only four seasons of the L word and like 33 movies. And I, when I had to, I would go to these rehearsals, which were like two or three times a week, but every hour from the end of the term to the beginning of the next t- term, I, I just, I just watched these movies and the same flavor of indie flicks and things that see. And I just slowly inched back. And I, I wish I could have had a thought like, this is not, is this healthy? I didn't really feel like I, there was anything other to do like else to do, but to press next and go. Mm. It just felt as though I got sucked into a, a healing chamber in the sense that it, this was the only thing and I just turtled myself in that place and it, I wasn't even in a cozy chair like I was at the alert student because it's a it's a mission, a pre-mission hefty like teachers it wasn't even wheels it didn't move I just sat there for hours for three sta- straight weeks every hour that I was awake and then I did it again because there was somewhere real deep back in there that knew that this was my way back, even if I hadn't actively made it as a decision. And I was a functional human at the other side of it. Wow. And it was about a year later that I was working with, and I learned a lot of stuff. I got exposed to a lot of people dealing with their shit in a whole bunch of different ways. Yeah. Um, I started working with a spiritual coach and sort of energy worker. And I don't recall if it was her instruction or my curiosity of realizing that I hadn't ever finished Xena Warrior Princess because it got cut off in my college years. So I went back and started watching that. And the themes that happened in that show were reflecting some of the spiritual uh, themes that were in this body of work of like coaching and, and approaching life in a different way. Mm. And then I went from Xena warrior princess, like the spiritual awakening of zero Xena warrior princess to Battlestar Galactica, oh. which might be one of the most overtly spiritually uh, like, and then I knew I was in it. That's I'm like, I, this is a thing. I'm so this, this is was my your, meditation. this was your waking up. Mm hmm. Oh, yeah. Okay. So that story, can I, can I jump in here? That yeah. story about the three weeks scares me. Honestly, like it triggers stuff in me because I've had experiences of times in the past where I've gone down rabbit holes where like, I think I mentioned to you the Whedon verse, Joss Whedon shows Buffy, yep. the vampire slayer and angel. Um, I watched, there's a lot of episodes there. Oh it's like seven God. seasons of Buffy and five of 20, Angel or something like that. Two, 21, 22. There's a episodes. lot of episodes. And I watched all of those episodes in a row while my life was spinning out of control. And I should have been doing something to stop it. 
<laughs> yeah. And I wasn't. Mm-hmm. And I was um, uh, I was literally sitting in a closet because <laughs> that's what I had set up as my office. Right. And it was super hot and I was sweaty and I was supposed to be doing work and I wasn't. And yeah. I was just for hours and hours, weeks and weeks and weeks, I was doing this. And this was not a good thing for me. Sure. Although I do think like there, I'm sure there's some benefit that I got from it. But I was not practicing that what we're talking about in right. there. I wasn't surrendering to it. I was I had other things I needed to be doing and I was going, I don't want to do that. And then I was going, distract me more, entertain me more, 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 <laughs> more. Cause it's scary. That's scary. I don't want to. <laughs> yeah. And um, the, the thought that you could actually trust that impulse enough to just, <laughs> my girlfriend calls it lumping. <laughs> yeah. she she says that when she gets depressed she just wants to lump right and um and it's been a very healing thing for me or for her for me to be like that's okay you can come lump come lump over here i'll love you while you lump i think you're very sexy when you lump <laughs> <laughs> um th- and for you to just be like i am just going to watch these things and then to to, to trust it for three weeks like when I think about being in that place, there's a voice in my head that's like, come on, it's been two weeks. Like, <laughs> all right, we trusted this this long, yeah. but get get your ass up off that and start fucking doing something. Yeah. And um, I honestly, I'm, I'm saying this as like, I, I don't know, how does, how does one know what's right for someone else? Like yeah. there's, there's you have to reach inside and and find a wisdom that says this is what I'm supposed to be doing or there's not because there's been other times in my life when I've gone I have three days and I've got a whole bunch of stuff that I can do right now that should get done and then I've gone no no I'm gonna watch tv and I've done that and and it was the right thing to do um but then there were other times when I've done it and it's definitely been I mean, right and wrong. That's not really the point. It's more like in alignment or out of alignment or, um, or, yeah. I think this question is, uh, is, is an episode that where we can explore it, but, and we may not come up with the right answers. Obviously we wouldn't come up with the right answers for each person, but I remember when we did the episode of is television good or bad for you. And I I think it's part of the thing that we'll need to teach and talk about that has to do with you were saying television is like smoking in that episode, which we we expired because it was not our favorite. And we get to do things like that. But I think of it more like food in the sense that that you get to be in a relationship with food and everybody has a different relationship with food. There are some people who have food sensitivities where like I pineapple is neither good or bad. It does not. My body doesn't respond well to pineapple. Mm. So I don't need to eat it. And in developing a relationship with yourself such that, and it's, and it's part of this waking up process of, is recognizing when something is too much of a thing for what you want your life to feel like right now and, and what you need to be able to do in the day. And, and for me, I the benefit of those three weeks is those three weeks were the three weeks that the only 
people that I needed to show up for were the the people who hired me to play these characters in this show. That was my only responsibility. The only thing that was required of me, all of my expenses were taken care of at that time. There wasn't necessarily something I had to be doing with my life. Right, right. And I just had this very quiet and I almost didn't have control over it because it was something that my body and brain decided for me. Yeah. And that's that's part of my path of recognizing that my body and brain has a relationship where it, it will show up and have responses to the world. And, 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 and like nudging that around is one of my own. Mm, I don't know if it's edges. It's what it's part of my path of figuring out how to Adrian in the world, because mm-hmm. sometimes my body and brain doesn't like to be stretched out of things and it'll do, Oh, we know what we, we can do. We can do some sort of physical response and then she'll have to do this thing we want. Right. Oh, or I yeah. have to stretch myself outside of these scary places. You're not the only one who system. does that. <laughs> my nervous system and immune system think, Oh, we know we're about to stretch and leap. So what we can do is we can get a cold or we can get a pain somewhere yeah. or like, and so at that point in my life, I didn't have anybody I, I had to be accountable for. And it was, it just was the adventure that I was on at the time. And it felt exhausting to fight it because my. And maybe impossible to fight it. My resistance had snapped. That might've been the, like something burst. Yeah. Some old strategy, some something burst. And it, you know, there's other ways that I, you know, that moment for me ended up being, interesting in the years that came forward of my ideas of who I am, what I'm capable and what the strategies are for getting things done. All of those needed to change and shift. So I'm having an insight that's coalescing through this conversation Yeah, that I think might be a good place to wrap up because I think we've gone over an hour again. Sure. (laughs) Uh, Time flew this time. Yeah. So what is the difference between the pre-waking up phase and the post-waking up phase? Um, and I think that one way to describe it is intention. Yeah. Or um, consciousness is another way to put it. Like using movies and TV watching intentionally. And that's part of the difference that I see between those stories is that if you're, if you're sitting down and you're choosing to do this and you're saying, this is what I'm going to do, as opposed to you're not really making a choice, you're being compelled to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, even if you are being compelled to do it and you surrender to it, w- w- being congruent with what you're doing. And for me, when I was watching all the Buffy uh, Angel Joss Whedon stuff. I was conflicted. I was I was watching it, but I sh- I knew I shouldn't be, and I felt terrible about it. Um, but I wanted to. And maybe mm-hmm. if I had gone, if I had said at the beginning of that whole time, you know what, I'm going to take a day or two days or three days or a week, and I'm going to watch all this stuff, and I'm not going to worry about anything else. Maybe I would have gotten it out of my system. Um, but and and then it comes down to what intention do you want to get out of this? Like I'm watching this and I'm 
I'm opening up to it in specific ways and I'm, I'm looking for the insights and the learning. And that's the biggest shift for me is that when I watch things now, I'm like, I'm like a detective going through looking for little, oh, 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 what, what is that? Is that a hint about what this really means? Yeah. And I don't, I don't even think that it really means anything. It's what does it really mean to me? So I wonder if the if that threshold that you cross has to do with becoming intentional. Totally. For me, the the congruence of the person I started working with and the things I think the easiest way for me to describe this is I walked in one day and I asked her, "So, do you meditate?" cuz we were doing certain things to give me different access to the way that my life would feel and who I was in my life. And she's like, I used to meditate, but I no longer need to meditate because I'm always meditating. Right. I live my life as a meditation. And I was like, hmm. And it reminded me of, and as you were talking, and I was thinking about the moment of shift for me, it wasn't just intention around watching television. It was much like every beginning of a bunch of different video games or the moment in any journey that's every movie or TV show that's about a quest, there's a moment when the hero decides that they recognize that they are on a quest and they take up the mantle. It's the moment Mm -hmm. that the sword is coming out of the stone. Excalibur is being pulled out of the stone and you are now the the king or queen or knight that is on this epic mission and what yeah. i recognized was in in that part of my life i made the choice or i you know i was knighted on the journey of living a life that was a, a, like a spiritual quest and tv as part of my life of course this is my meditation. Every breath I take is my meditation. Everything I do, everyone I come into contact with is part of this journey that we're all in it together. And so that just kept building and building the more and more I would watch. And it, because I grew up watching so much TV and having it part of my lineage and story, of course, this is another tool for me to utilize on this quest as I am you know, fulfilling my duty as this Adrian, Sir Adrian in the world, walking the path, whatever that might mean. And it sort of, so it's part, partly making more meaning of everything than many people make and saying yes to m- my own, like, giving it weight, giving my own life and story a kind mm. of weight so that every every yeah. decision to make, everything I'm in can be meaningful, even if it's, I'm just pooping. Right. Am I just pooping? Right. Yeah. That's one of the reasons why I love listening to uh, movie soundtracks mm-hmm. when you're doing stuff in general, like making food. or taking a shit or going pee and it's the most dramatic thing yeah like um (laughs) i also had the thought that another t-shirt for uh enlightened couch potato could be making movies a meditation yeah Mm, nice alliteration there and on that note poop reference (laughs) uh i think we're out (laughs) 
Awesome. I, Are we good? I feel great. Do you feel good? Yeah. Yeah. This uh, this one flew by. So uh, if you're if you're out there and you're watching or listening to this, uh, let us know what you think. We'd love to hear your comments. Uh, we're going to be uploading these onto the various podcasting services and on YouTube very soon. Here, yes, we, we wanted to get a little bit of a backlog, so they've just been on Facebook up till now. Uh, but if you're if you're enjoying this, let us know and uh, uh, tune I'd in love, next week. I'd love for people to share in comments what your television or movie lineage is or yeah. whether you've had that waking up moment. Let us know. I'd love to hear about yep. it. Yep. Yep. All right. Okay. Fabulous. We'll talk next week. Have a good one. Later.